Hey, North Star community. It is Scott and Teresa here bringing you a podcast, I guess. Is that what we're going to call it? I think so. I think that's what most people call these things. (laughs) I, like a bonehead, forgot to record the past couple of messages, which is one of my sole responsibilities on a Sunday morning when mom is doing the message, when Teresa's doing the message. So You make coffee, too. Oh, make good coffee. You make good coffee. According to Earl, yeah. Yeah, no complaints there. Yeah, well, shame on me all the same. So we are going to have a little bit of a dialogue about what we've talked about the past couple weeks. This could end up in one episode. It could end up in two episodes. We're going to see what happens. We don't really know exactly where this is going just yet. So buckle your seatbelts, bear with all those good things. Yeah, let's go. All right. I think that, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. but I think that what has kicked off the past couple of messages was, if I've been listening to you correctly over the past couple of weeks, um, is uh, an email that you got from a friend of yours Mm -hmm. and your reflections on your relationship over the years and the conversations you've had over the years and your reflections on her story and also how that fits in with your own experience of yourself in life. Right. I'm kind of rambling here, but I guess the the point is you have had this interaction right. that has sparked a series of thoughts. Right. So why don't you begin by unpacking that interaction and telling us a little bit about what you've been thinking about uh, in the aftermath? Sure. Well, first, I think I need to say that I feel like I'm a very lucky duck because I get to hear lots of people's stories um, over the course of my lifetime. I've really love listening to other people's stories. And this particular friend is kind of a lifelong friend who has had a chronic problem that uh, I've been able to listen in on as she's processed and occasionally um, insert myself in the solution a little bit. So we've been together through thick and thin, and she's actually given me permission to share her story. So I think that's an important thing. I'm not just outing her um, in our ginormous community of millions of people. (laughs) That's a joke, right? So um, anyway, uh, she gave me permission to share. And it started because she sent me an email that basically was like, what the heck is wrong with me? So the bottom line of the problem without getting into the nitty gritties details over a podcast is that she has a chronic problem with being in relationships with men who are not good to her or for her. And it has had devastating consequences in her life. And she's ended up in that spot again. And she sincerely wanted to know, what the heck is wrong with me? And that was uh, at a time when I was studying some particular materials. And it just really sparked my curiosity and interest and my emotions because I often ask myself that same question. And so just at the outset here, uh, one of the things that I know that you're not saying, but I want you to clarify for for everybody listening, is it's very common for somebody in, in an abusive relationship, which she's in, to question themselves and to blame themselves for what's going on in the situation. Right. And I know that's not what you're saying. You're not saying she's responsible for the abuse. Right. But the question, what's wrong with me, is a way of saying, okay, that is not not mine to own. Right. 
That's not hers to own. She's right. a legitimate victim. Right. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. And yet, she recognizes that she has her own work to do, as we all do, whether exactly regardless yeah. of our of our circumstances. So, do you want to speak to that at all? I do, um, because I think the question, "What the heck is wrong with me?" is really a quite beautiful and sacred prayer. Hmm. Uh, because she was not speaking to me about the the fact of his abuse. She was speaking about how did she end up repeating the same pattern. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's part of the insight she's gained from being in the pattern, right? Which is a good thing. But she didn't stop the pattern when she began to see the same red flags. And she's wrestling with trying to come to grips with that. Um, And I think that's a legitimate thing for her to wrestle with. I think one of the points that this has made me think of is... She's trying to own... Her part. Her, not not necessarily her part in the relationships, but just her decisions in life. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her part in how her life is turning out, uh, regardless of the relationship. Mm-hmm. So the abusive relationship really wasn't the point of conversation. <laughs> She's well experienced with that. She knows how to get a good lawyer. She knows... So she actually knows how to solve that problem, but she's she's saying to me, crying out as a lament, really, um, what the heck is going on that, that I have these patterns, these repetitive patterns in life that lead to some compulsive and, um, in a more general sense, not specifically in this case, but some even some addictive uh, patterns that are very destructive. So... Her question made me think about my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me think about all of our lives and community and the fact that all of us sometimes can get stuck in patterns. And because of what I've been studying, I found that quite exciting and interesting uh, to know this because uh, I am quite sure that if I sent her back an email, which I don't even agree with and I would never do it, but say, yeah, you really screwed up. Uh, that would be not only unhelpful, but I don't even think it's the point or even necessarily the bigger truth now because of what I'm learning in my own spiritual pilgrimage. Yeah, the point is not to place blame on her or anybody for things other people do. The point is, look, we are all on a journey. Right. We're trying to figure out what transformation looks like in our lives. Right. We have some part in that. We know that transformation is largely a part of what God is doing in us, but we have some work in participating in that. Right. And um, so this isn't about trying to figure out who caused the problem or who did the bad deed or the worst deed. It's about, look, I'm acknowledging that I'm not exactly where I think I maybe could be in life, and I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out exactly why that is, which I think is something we all wrestle with. It is, but I, I want to call attention to the first part of your statement um, because in thinking about her efforts to deal with her problems in the past, my efforts to deal with my own problems, and what I've learned from other people is it's a so this is a pretty big point for me. I think that we make sometimes uh, far, we pay far more attention to the problems as if they are external to us than really give ourselves the grace and the time to wrestle with the internal issues 
that drive the decisions we make. So if I could unpack that a little bit. Right. Um, in her relationships with men, every time a relationship has gone south, from the time we were 14 to the time now that we're old as dirt, the boys behave so badly, so to speak, that it was so obvious to everybody around her that these men have a problem. And that was legitimate. But I think in doing that, then she, she was forced, and this was there was a lot of truth and necessity in this, she was forced to deal with that problem that was really external to her, which was his bad behaving in order to move to a position of safety. And that was really quite distracting. And then once that was over, there wasn't a sort of pause to deal with her internal issues. She jumped right back in to what she is now identifying as a pattern, which is, I can't live without a man. My biggest need, this is my friend talking, not me. My biggest need is for peanut butter. But her biggest need was to feel as if a man's affection made her real in a sense. So she had a strong desire there. So can I nitpick for a second? Oh, please And you come back at me. Yeah. So you said the external problem of dealing with the men and the things they've done to her was a distraction. What I want to nitpick is, and I I think you'll agree with me on this, so I'm I'm kind of being sarcastic. Okay. Not sarcastic. It doesn't matter. Keep keep going. Keep it moving. Spit it it out. We've only got so much time. It's really hot in this room. (laughs) I'm beginning to sweat. Go ahead. It's messing with my hair. Right. (laughs) So the external problems, I think, are not necessarily distractions. They're real things that must be dealt with. Right. And that is important. Right. And it is central work, especially in that moment, especially when you're talking about something as severe as an abusive relationship. Right. Must be handled. There's no way around that. Right. And then you get to the aftermath, and after some time and some reflection and maybe some good therapy or maybe some time with a spiritual advisor. And support and, groups. And support groups and whatever right. else. Time and community. Right. You know, seeking wisdom. Right. Trying to do some discerning. Then we come to a point where it's like, okay. Right. I really need to uh, do my own work. Yes. And that's a decision that you, that that, that person must own. Right. And I think what I want to make exactly. clear for everybody is you have a friend who has owned that. And yes. you are part of her wisdom resources. Right. And I think that's really key. She's not blaming herself. She's not in that place because no. she has done her hard work. She right. has done the therapy. Exactly. And now it's what else is left. Right. She's dealt with the biggest stuff. Right. And now it's what else is left. What, what do I need to be focusing on? See, and that's really key, and here's the cool point about that, because she could have said this over the course of our friendship about 14 times. What the heck? Why have I got this pattern? But in, for previously, in previous very bad, naughty relationships, um, naughty as in the men had behaved very badly, every single bad relationship did not seem connected. These relationships didn't have any connection to her. There was no sense of patterning about this. These were acute problems 
that were separate. They were not chronic issues that could have led her in in the past when she didn't get this. They didn't lead to any introspection because they were just acute crises because these men were bad guys. And now, and this is one of the things that moves us away from repetitive, habitual, compulsive, addictive patterns, was this insight like, geez, the only thing that is in common with all these men is me. Um, And so she's beginning to identify a pattern. And so although I I would have probably reframed her question because I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with her um, other than the fact that she's fully human and this is part of transformational work. Um, I'm really excited that she's at the point where she's seeing that she has a pattern uh, in her life where she is a common factor and she's trying to figure out why that is. Which doesn't make her responsible for their behavior. Oh, no. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Which no. is the nuanced part. Right. They are legitimately bad dudes doing stuff that is terrible. Right. And she's recognizing that she has her own stuff that has been affecting where she seeks, it sounds like from what you're saying, uh, her sense of validation and worth and and, and her own internal Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So now if I can go and tie it to what I've been learning. Mm -hmm. So it turns out from what these folks that I'm reading and studying about are saying is it turns out that all of us have a sort of predicted, a predictable vulnerability to, um, to looking in all the wrong places to get our sense of worth and value and meaning in life, right? And so my friend is a great example because in her case, uh, she believed that she was only valuable if someone else said they loved her. Um, But there are two other patterns that are also very um, predictable. So pattern one is, just to state it, without using her as a reference. Yeah. Pattern one is... I'm only valuable if somebody loves me. I'm only valuable if somebody loves me. Yeah. Pattern two. So we're suggesting some people have that. Yeah. Do some people have all three of these? Uh, I think we all struggle with them to an extent, or maybe that's just me. Okay. But I think we have a favorite one. So I'm only valuable if somebody loves me. I'm only valuable if somebody loves me. The second one is my worth is determined by what I have. Okay. And the third pattern is... My worth is determined by what I do. And I think that these patterns are not true, and they are um, shaky ground for somebody who wants to live a life of conscious contact with God, because this is the opposite of what he says we build our house on. And um, and yet they are extremely attractive um, distractions. Um, they are, uh, they feel so true in the middle of it, right? And so um, that's something we've got to wrestle with. Now, people have said it in other ways too. Um, they've used words like here, here's, think similar patterns, different wording. 
Are you obsessed with your own security? Are you obsessed with having control of situations? Or are you obsessed with affirmation and esteem from other people? So that's another wording. These are words that have come from Father Thomas Keating and from Henry Nowen. And um, they overlay nicely with uh, the scriptures, which is why I love them. And um, I think that finding a way through these natural tendencies is the pathway to hope. So how do we do that? Well, I think first we have to do what my friend did and have a moment of acknowledgement that says, there are things that I am believing that are not true. So I had friend, I had coffee with a friend this morning. And she so was, in her case, sorry, before you get to yeah. that story. So in her case, she's she acknowledges that that lie is the first, uh, what did you call them? Distraction. The first distraction, which yeah. is I'm only valuable if somebody loves me. That is the lie. Yeah. Okay. And I think I call it a distraction because it's a distraction from remembering what I think is true, which okay. I'll talk about in a second. But another word that I would also use there, it is it is a vulnerability. It's vulnerability. A, par- a particular vulnerability that we each have. One of the three. Let me review them. Um, you are either vulnerable to believing that you're only valuable based on what you do and accomplish, what you have and acquire, or how other people are uh, sharing uh, esteem and affection, giving you that outside of yourself. And of course, uh, that's no way or, to Or build really a life. kind of whether you're perceived you're loved or yeah, not. Yeah, whether you're perceived you're loved, whether you're perceived you're efficient and useful, or whether you perceive that you are successful in acquiring things. So those are the things. And, and so let me go back to my friend and give this illustration again. Her primary vulnerability was this need to feel validated and loved by a man. But she also really liked men who could support her into a lifestyle to which she wanted to become accustomed. So she always really liked the perks that came from being with highly successful men who could provide her with a lot of material substance. Which sounds eerily like vulnerability number two, maybe? Yeah, exactly. So I think as she's looked at it, she says, my core addiction, if it were, was love from men. But I had secondary issues related to needing security that would come from having really nice things. So those were her two things. And um, it's not true, and it's counter to what God says. Um, But what I liked about her, where she is right now, is she is deliberately, intentionally, and humbly acknowledging that there's something that needs to change. And I think that's where the hope is, is we begin to change. We have to change something. Yep. Could I show you a verse? Yeah, so we're moving now to what, Yeah. not what needs to change, but how change is happening? Yeah. Okay. So if you recognize that you've got a problem, now you're open to consider that there might be a solution. Okay. Prior to that, there wasn't really a solution for this because she didn't think she had a problem. So therefore, there was, she wasn't looking for a solution. Right. So now she's like, oh my gosh. Or I think, to use your language, she was looking for a solution 
to a distraction. Yeah, she was looking for a solution. She wasn't looking for a solution to the core underlying vulnerability. So if your primary needs are to feel loved, to feel purposeful, which, I mean, we all have them, and to feel secure, like have food on the table and whatnot, those are pretty important core needs. Um, But what happens to us is when we get obsessed with acquiring them and thinking we can only do that by our own efforts. That's where we get in trouble. Okay, so bring us a solution. All right, so here's the beginning of the solution. So I got the problem, and then all of a sudden I come to Matthew 3. Because I think every problem that is rooted in identity must be dealt with from a spiritual framework. That's, That's the only way I can see it working. So this is the part where Jesus is getting baptized, and he um, immediately comes out of the water. Heaven is open to him, and he sees the Spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. And I love this because... God finds happiness and dearly loves Jesus before Jesus begins his public ministry. Um, He does this right prior to Jesus' temptations. And I think this is not by accident. I don't think this is a coincidence. I think this is God um, lighting a path into our feet that says, I am crazy about you, absolutely crazy about you. And what you have and what you do and, and how loved you feel they're nothing compared to knowing that you bring me great happiness before you've ever done one single solitary act of doing um, act of acquiring or act of catching somebody's eye and being their apple And so I think this is really important. And I think this is part of the work of growing up. And what I've been talking about in this, and I'm going to continue to talk about in this series, is I don't know why, but it is true that we forget that on a regular basis. And I would bet the part that you stressed there was the fact that God's affirmation or uh, his sort of... um, fact that he chose Jesus came before, but I am guessing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the order is not what's important. The fact that it came before his ministry, his quote-unquote accomplishments, is not necessarily what's important, but the fact that God affirms his creation regardless, that, that God's affirmation is a pervasive part of the way that he views his creation. Yes. And it the, underlies. Yes. And the reason I give a timeline to it is because you can make a case for this then that um, this is a, a, a real indicator that we can't just say, well, of course God loves Jesus. Jesus is so great. <laughs> you know, I think we, we find ways to not believe that this message is true for ourselves. But he loved them when he was 
when he was walking around in a small little village, the son of a carpenter, before he had changed any water into expensive wine. So I think that's the value of the point. And I think the point is also true, and we can look at other scriptures, maybe we'll do that in a future podcast, that says that this is exactly God's disposition towards us. Um, Jesus says, you know, you're not my servants, you're my, you're my siblings, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are partners with me. Um, this isn't a top-down organization here, and um, we forget that. So then we get scared or resentful or feel ashamed, and uh, we try to solve our problems by doubling down on our compulsions. Yeah, and I think to your point, um, you know, Jesus is a complicated example for that since we believe that Jesus is also part of the Trinity and Jesus right. is God. But right. we think, and I think, you know, and I think you've pointed to other scriptures in your messages, such as Genesis and God looking at creation and seeing that it's good and that God's view of of creation being good does not end in Genesis 3 with the fall, but that he continues to value and love his creation and that that is just a core part of who God is as creator, is that he continues to create and sustain life because he thinks his creation is good and he loves it. And that's a message that we can then internalize for ourselves, knowing that we are a, a piece of this. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think that we can bring this down all the way down to our one-on-one relationships. I, I don't think that there's any more pure and more wonderful example than thinking about a newborn child. Um, so uh, most of you know that Scott has a, um, a, a daughter, Nora Jane, um, and um, she's delightful in every way. And you cannot not be crazy about her when you look into her big, brown, beautiful eyes. That's true. And she hasn't done one thing to earn, to, to earn it, right? Uh, one of my prayers for Nora and for Christian, my other grandson, and for any future grandchildren I might have, um, is that somehow in the core of their brain is a memory that we've always looked at them with delight. Yeah. Um, that when they were throwing up on us and not sleeping well and pooping their pants and peeing on us and all that stuff, we just grinned bigger. Um, and I think that that is one of the beautiful reminders of having a baby around is that I get a sense that this is exactly how God sees us. It's sort of crazy that the basis of faith, you know, on an intellectual level yeah. is that God loves us. Yeah. And yet it is the most, it, it continues to, to shock me how it is just the piece that is most missed experientially. Yeah, and and uh, in terms of how we speak about who God is and how he relates to us too, shame on us for the ways we've sometimes talked about God as if we're trying to, uh, uh, that we need to be threatened in some way in order to get us to behave. Yeah, as if that works. As if that has ever worked in the history. Um. And drawing it back to our conversation, this has been a very pleasant digression and I've enjoyed it. (laughs) Uh, And I hope our listeners have as well. Well, I mean, it's a key point, but 
carry on. Well, no, I, it's an example <laughs> of a key point. But to but to hammer it home, you know, you you have drawn us from this question of what is wrong with us, mm-hmm. and that's you know just considering the ways in which we own um, our part and where we end up in life, which right. is not everything. There's other factors as well, but we right. can own our part, even if it's small. Right. Um, and how our part has a lot to do with our vulnerabilities that we're often not aware of that drive us to do things that have disastrous consequences. Right. And that the first part of the antidote for that is really believing that, that our affirmation and validation and our worth is a, is a settled thing. Right. You know, the idea that we are part of a creation that God views as good and valuable and, you know, that, that he desires us to be, to be full of dignity right. um, and to show that, uh, to, to live that out and then to demonstrate it to others, that everybody we come in contact with right. um, is given dignity and respect, right. um, that this is just foundational to being a person. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the first piece of the antidote towards the kind of unconscious uh, giving in to our vulnerabilities. Right. And I want to push back on what you said, um, just gently. So what you said is one of the first steps is believing this. And I think I know what you mean here, but I want to just for the, just for our millions of listeners. Yeah. Um, so... This is far more than an intellectual belief. Like the Bible says, Jesus loves me, this I know, right? Right. And my friend actually um, that I'm speaking of is an extremely religious person who um, is very committed to her beliefs. Um, But what I'm pushing on her with is to move beyond having the right words to looking at matching up the lifestyle. So for many of us, and this is particularly true of me, I have readily believed that God loves everybody else, um, but he really needs me to step up my game. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. I believe that God is crazy about us and he loves us, Having had that belief, though, the work for me in spiritual transformation is living it out in faith. And what I mean by that is requiring myself to have the discipline to think about how my actions are matching up or not matching up with that. So there are a lot of disciplines, which are for future podcasts and future points of the message, that people who have been studying this a long time, have taught us that go specifically with these vulnerabilities. But all of it is sort of an, an intentional effort to resist the vulnerabilities and the lies and then the miscues that go along with that and the way we love God, love others, and love ourselves. And a deliberate decision to say, if this is true, then how do I think, feel, and behave congruently, congruently with that? 
Right. I think that um, the point you're making is that beliefs are more than just thoughts. Yes. Right. And that for it to be belief, it has to be completely embodied, right. which means that, you know, I think, you know, uh, it th- this idea that, that God loves us and affirms us as part of his creation is something that must be received from him. Right. And there's just no other way to describe yeah. it. You yeah. can't just get it. Yeah, no. It has to be received somehow or discovered somehow. I use that word too much, but you know what I mean. Right. And then, you know, if it has been received, if it has been discovered, then I think it, it sort of logically leads to a lifestyle. And maybe if it doesn't, you know, I mean, there's disciplines that... Right. That make that possible. And like you said, we'll talk about that, but that the belief piece is, is much more than just what we think to be true. Right. It's, it's what, uh, it's what is such a, it's, it's a, it becomes a core part of who we are, uh, such that we interact with everybody we meet completely differently. Yeah. That our disposition towards the world is, is completely transformed. Right. So my friend, to draw back to her example, has to wrestle with the fact that if, if God is crazy about you and loves you completely, um, why do you have to have a man in your life to feel loved? Um, let's look at that and let's consider how that is congruent with believing that God loves you. And then what happens um, is even in relationship with a man, you think through that you would expect all your relationships to have dignity and respect in them because you're learning it. So it's, it's, a, it's a big, huge learning process. We're all learning, and we're going we're gonna to learn it di- in different ways at different times. And I think in wrapping it up, and, and to kind of rephrase, it's not a way of saying that you don't need people in your life who love you. But for that, to receive that, that validation from God and to fully embody it, you both recognize that, that to stay in a relationship where somebody doesn't love you is to suggest that you have not embodied and received that, that God loves his creation. Because if God loves his creation, then he would not want it to be subjected to such terrible treatment. And so for her, being without that person is a way of embodying a larger truth. And there's nothing wrong with having a romantic partner, exactly. but there's something very wrong with having a partner who undermines a basic message that God sends to, that God sends to his people. Yes, because we bear his image. And so, you know... Um, I happen to be married to somebody who uh, is very adoring of me in many ways um, that are quite wonderful. And um, he's taught me a lot uh, about what loving a person looks like. And so just let me conclude with this. There are many of us who have not had very many good examples of that. So we need to be gentle with ourselves. Yeah. And uh, we need to be figuring this out together as a community. And maybe we need to be humbly saying, oh, you mean when he smacks me, that's not loving? Oh, you mean when he's super jealous, 
that's really not what love looks like? Because I, I thought for sure that's what love looked like. So I guess I would conclude this with the way I hope I always conclude. Anytime we have a conversation, we need to be extremely gentle with ourselves and patient uh, because there's a lot that um, needs to be unpacked, which is why we're going to do this in a series, not just one message. Yes, and um, just to get the last word, I mean, I think to your point, we it's, it also speaks to the importance of demonstrating love in friendship. Yeah. And not just in not just assuming that we only find love in family relationships or in romantic relationships, but it can be learned a variety of ways. And we can't overlook the importance of being a loving presence in our friendships because in theory your friend could could learn an awful lot from being in from all of her other relationships in her life. It's not just on that one relationship. Right. Right. And yeah. And you never know how our example of being loving to other people, uh, how that affects them in ways that we'll never know. Yep. Well, we thank you for being with us. This is uh, basically going to end up being a recap of the past uh, two messages, which was the 16th and the 9th of September. So if you missed those messages, hopefully this is made up for them in some way. We'll see. Time will tell. Um, and uh, we will be coming to you soon. Again, this is Scott and Teresa with North Star Community. Um, if you have found us somehow randomly through the magic of the internet, um, you can find us on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com. Uh, by the time I get this posted on the internet, there's probably going to be some music at the beginning and the end. It's going to be royalty-free, courtesy of Blue, Se Blue Dot Sessions is the name of the group. They can also be found on the web at sessions.blue. Uh, I really enjoy their music. I don't know if you do or not. I don't particularly care. It's going to end up on here anyway, and um, I would encourage you to I check care. them out. I care deeply. Yes, they have dignity and they and they have respect and we love them. Yes. <laughs> You're supposed to care more than that. <laughs> All right, gang. All it right. was great. It was great uh, taking some time to sit down and think about this. We hope it's helped you in some small way. Peace. Thanks. Bye.